0: Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God.
1: Friendship with one another.
0: And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First,
1: please visit OKCFirst.com.
0: Today's passage comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if the ch- and if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you blind on earth will be f- bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven again truly i tell you if two of you agree on earth about ask, about anything you ask it will be done for you by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name i am there among them this is the word of the lord
1: Amen. man Nice job, Harrison. Didn't he do a nice job with that? That was a good job. Yes, so a little context. Again, whether you are new to our fellowship or you've been here for a while, uh, we are still in the season of Pentecost, and the season of Pentecost is meant to be. It's always been, uh, it's meant to be. I don't know if that's my computer or what. Uh, it's meant to be a season of training to help the church to know how to go about being the church. We, we need this. Because as the culture changes, we have to remember those things that do not change. Like, what does it mean to be us? How do we go about Conflict. How do we go about rescue efforts if one of our number were to wander away? This is sort of a, a, the first of a two-part miniseries. This week and next week will have to do with how we handle conflict, how we, have, how we handle division, those kinds of things. Because, I don't know if you know this, but looking around out there, I'm not sure that we're getting a whole lot of training, leadership Guidance out there as to how to do conflict very well. So let's do it well here, okay? And all God's people said right off the top, not bad, not bad. We are also uh, finishing up a sermon series that is sensitive to this super summer, super summer sort of theme that we have had all summer. I have really enjoyed this, because then I get to go research uh, superhero stories and that kind of stuff, and, and I, I like that kind of stuff. I, I like this, I'm a sucker for all the Marvel movies, I'm a sucker for all of them, we, we enjoy them. Drew and I enjoy them, I think the other people in our family tolerate them, but we, in, at least, I get to do, talk about some things that I really enjoy. And, and and we're still talking about superheroes but maybe different sorts of superheroes today have you noticed that especially during the pandemic we started to see our rescue workers as heroes and i'm into it i like it i mean these folks who put their lives on the line still during the height of the pandemic and are still putting their lives on the line, I don't know why we wouldn't afford these people hero status. The people, like the, the firemen here, uh, yes, why not understand that person as having superpowers that are spent in service to other people? I love social workers. I don't know if we have any social workers in the house. I know we do have some. Yeah, but I love social workers. I think they too have superpowers. Powers. They are honing their skills in the service of other people. And many times, many times, the word rescue fits perfectly what it is that they are doing. And we will come back to this concept of rescue and restoration here in a little bit. But it is also Kids Sunday. Now, I, man, we had more participation in Alabaster than I thought. That was really cool. I love having the participation of the kids up here. Like, I love watching them sing. They do such a a great job. Let me explain to you why we do this, okay? Yes, I like that once a month we can give everybody a breather, right, who would typically be in other parts of the the building working with kids. I, I like that. I like being able to have Lisa in church once in a while, right? I think she ought to go to church. I also really like having kids in the room for for these reasons. I want them to know that we know that we have a responsibility for them. I want them to know that we as a church are going to continue to organize to better serve kids and families with kids. And I also want the adults in the room to know that we, yes, we have that responsibility for, for kids, But I also want the adults in the room to know that there are moments when the kids are really good leaders for us. And maybe being in the proximity of kids, like on a kid's Sunday, is a good reminder that kids have something to teach us as well. They have something to show us. I mean, it's going to be in the passage of Scripture, a few verses before, what Harrison read so well today. But Jesus is going to say something along the lines of, you got to be like kids to come into the kingdom of heaven. Well, if you're never around a kid, how can you know what it is that Jesus is describing here? So I am glad to have kids in the room. But maybe we still don't quite understand what Jesus meant when he said, you have to become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, Nicodem- Nicodemus didn't understand it in John chapter 3, right? Jesus said something like this when he said, well, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus' mind was blown. He said, surely, surely this doesn't mean I have to go into the womb again to be born again. It does that- doesn't mean that, does it, Jesus? And Jesus said, no. And Nicodemus' mom breathed this huge sigh of relief, right? No, this has to do with this kingdom life that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is going to use the language of kingdom of heaven, but you need to know that he's not talking about the heaven that we aspire to after we die here. That's not it. Jesus talked about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God as a present possibility, a present possibility, that is trending toward present reality. In fact, it is present reality in the resurrection of Christ. He's talking about entry into another way of being alive, another way of being human. This is not stuff for after you die, it is nearer than that, and it is more now than that. This is here and now stuff, and in order to enter into it and then participate in the kingdom of heaven that is now, certainly not yet, not finished, but is absolutely now, you are best going to enter that kingdom if you enter it with the posture of a child. The posture of a child. Hey, adults in the room, at various levels of crust, (laughs) you need to be around kids. As you aspire to follow Jesus and to be remade in Christ's image, it will be helpful to you to see the wonder in the eyes of a child because there is something in the wonder of the eyes of the child that gives you some idea of what this is and what this experience might be for you. Now, we use words like conversion or salvation to describe entry into this kingdom, and rightly so. And yet, Especially around here, when we use the language of salvation, following the lead of the Gospels, we are not just talking about being saved from something, and you already know what's coming, if you've been here for any length of time. Salvation, conversion, describes the process by which we are saved from something, and let's call that something eternal separation from God. But we are also, being ta- we are also talking about being saved for something, new life, boundless life and we are talking about being saved to something and that is the family of God with Christ at the head the family of faith that is the tangible expression of the new reality made possible by the sacrificial love of Christ now in the text that Harrison read and that we're going to get back into here in a second you see this this language of little ones little ones And I want you to know something, when Matthew, when Jesus uses this language of little ones today, I do think he is talking about children, children, younger people, but that's not all that Jesus is talking about. Yes, it includes the kids who are part of our family of faith, our youngest members who, because of their youth, are then new to the movement and worthy of our every effort of nurture and protection. But little ones today also includes those people who may be older, people of any age, who may also be new to the movement or for a second time new to the movement, new to the family of faith, and therefore just as worthy of our every effort to nurture and protect. Because it is no small thing to move from one way of life into another, one way of thinking and seeing to another, There's so much of the old baggage that threatens to derail the process. Those other voices are already, are still clanging around in our heads, clamoring for attention, and there is this constant temptation to return to the old familiar when faced with the possibility of an exciting new reality. You still will feel the temptation to go back to the old ways, wherein the rich are rich and the poor are poor, the strong are strong and the weak are weak, but in this new reality, There is the possibility that the rich are poor, and the poor are rich. The strong are weak, and the weak are strong. You see, now I think we can have a better conversation and use these old, sometimes scary words, like, you ready for this? Hang on, evangelism, or outreach. Anybody else in the room ever been a first-hand witness to outreach done poorly? Yeah, I have. I will never forget forget being a youth pastor. I was downtown at a conference for young people, and these people successfully whipped these kids into such a frenzy that they were bursting to get out of this room and go find the lost and win them by whatever means necessary. So I witnessed a group of kids surround like jackals and hyenas <laughs> surround someone that they considered, they guessed was lost, and they were asking all of the questions, right? Do you know what would happen to you if you died tonight? Do you know where your soul would be for eternity? Do you want to burn in hell forever? And this poor kid kept backing into a corner, like, I, and I should have done something. I don't know, I, I should have done something. What I did was sort of smirk and move on. But to this day, I wonder how that kid experiences Christians and Christianity. To to this day, I wonder how that kid would experience Christ. I don't think I like when terminology of confrontation is used in the conversation about outreach and evangelism. It's not that there isn't something to say. I just don't think that confrontation is the best way to talk about a loving relationship with a God whose mind about you is made up of the news is good. And if you don't believe it, we're gonna send you to a fiery hell. Maybe a better word to use would be this word rescue. Rescue. I think that rescue is on the mind of Christ today. I think Jesus has rescue on his heart today. And maybe over the years where Christians have used terms like outreach and evangelism, we'd all be better off, especially that young man so many years ago, if we thought along the lines of rescue or restoration. In these verses, Jesus' heart is on full display He talks about these little ones, people new to the faith, and perhaps people who are not necessarily new to the faith, but people who were were at one time in the family who have stumbled and wandered away. Listen, how should we respond to the person who has stumbled and wandered away? What is our responsibility for one another? If we're going to use language like family of faith, just how far do we take it? Going all the way back to the beginning of this chapter. Chapter 18, verse one. At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here it is, verse two. He called a child whom he put among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you, old or crusty person, Unless you change and become like children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Now, y'all, I think you can see, if we were, had been there that day, I think we would have seen the fire start to build in Jesus' eyes. Do, does everyone know that Jesus did in fact get angry? that Jesus did, in fact, at times have very harsh words for people, it was never for the outsiders, it was always for the insiders. Jesus reserved his harshest language for people who should know better, and if you wanna find places where Jesus threatens, and it's right here, Jesus never threatens the outsider, he threatens the insider who's supposed to be a part of the team. And so, in defense of these little ones, Jesus says, look, if one of you crusty old people, it's not, it may not be in your Bible, but it's right here in front, right here. If you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, and man, what he says next is rough. He said, I'm going to be so, so mad. Again, this is John Revised Standard Version, you can, you can read it there, but I know there's kids in the room. But Jesus really does say something that would fall into the category of threat. He is saying to those of us in the room who should know better, don't you dare damage a little one. And if you do, you'll answer to me, says Jesus. And this is when he has the discussion about, look, If it's your eye that's going to cause you to be a stumbling block, then do away with the eye. If it's your hand that's going to cause you somehow to be a stumbling block, then do away with it. But do not, do not allow your life to be a stumbling block for one of these people. Verse 10, take care that you do not despise or neglect one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. Man, hear that y'all, we are meant to nurture and protect and rescue and the moment we discover that perhaps we're a part of the damaging organization, the moment that we suspect or we realize or discover that we're now hurting the people that we're meant to protect, we have Jesus to answer to. Tell me about your faith. Does your faith nurture and protect? Or is there anything about the way that you go about being Christian? Is there anything in the way that you go about living while being understood as a Christian that would be a stumbling block to a little one? You better do something about that quick. Now we're headed toward our preaching verses today. Verse 12, though. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. Now, if that's offensive to you, then you have a lot in common with the older brother in the, in the parable of the prodigal. Yeah, we organize for the one who has gone astray, and we celebrate when he or she returns and the 99 need to be a part of the celebration (laughs) and don't need to be the people who said, well, I never got a party. If you're saying, I never got a party, then you are likely not a part of the rescue effort. It is not the will of your Father in heaven that even one of these little ones should be lost. I haven't asked permission, but I'm gonna tell, and I think I'm telling this story for a second or third or tenth time, but we went skiing with the Bells one time. And this is back when when Pearson was young enough not to have really long red hair, right? And he and and Taylor and Drew were were skiing somewhere, and then Pearson, as Pearson is wont to do, decided to take Pearson's own path, which was off the beaten path, which was off the trail, and Pearson ended up lost, and lost in a way that uh, Taylor found alarming. And so she came back and found us and said, we think Pearson's lost, and in fact, Pearson was lost. And so we all kind of sprung into action. Like, everything else was put on hold while we organized the effort to uh, to find Pearson. I mean, Kelly was, was accosting everyone who worked for the, uh, the place, said, do you not realize that we have lost a red-headed child? We must find this, this redheaded child but Mike what Mike did is he said well then I'm I'm going show me exactly where he was and I too he said we'll go off the beaten path and listen there was some pretty steep dangerous hills here so it was no small thing to say no I'm going wherever he is but that's what he did because that makes sense right that makes sense that's you would have thought it strange of us especially strange of Mike and Vonette to say "Ah, you know he's just gonna be him Pearson you do you We'll see you. Hope, you, hope you make it. Turns out Pearson had already figured out how he could melt snow and drink it and, and I guess kill animals with his bare hands and eat forever, but. Uh, you would have thought it odd though had we had decided that this was a reasonable loss. If Mike and Vanette had said, I've got two other kids Why do we feel differently as a church then? I mean, it seems to be the intention of Christ, as you're going to hear here in a second, it seems to be the intention of Christ that we would be just as concerned about the one or the ones who wander away. I I had this discussion. We started We'll continue it next week with my class this morning. There is this phrase out there. I mentioned it a minute ago. You do you. What is that? And and does it have a place in the church? To to the extent that it has to do with the recognition of the capacity to choose, to the extent that we're talking about human dignity, uh, yeah, I guess so. We we must allow room for people to self-express. I think that's important. But it should not be understood as a member of the church or as the church shrugging its shoulders to say, ah, allowable loss. Just how much responsibility do we have for one another? Be careful when you answer because Jesus actually has an answer. And I would submit that if your answer is different from the one that we're gonna hear from Jesus, that maybe you need to confess that difference. Okay. If another member of the church sins in parentheses, against you, and I'll explain that in a second, go and point out the fault where the two of you are alone. The member listens to you, you have regained that one. All right, just a second. We're gonna have, and I know it's Kids Sunday, so what better time to have a discussion about Greek text variants, amen, right? If you have a study Bible, you might notice that there is a little bitty marker, if it's a good study Bible, if it's a bad study Bible, all bets are off, but if it's a good study Bible, you might have a little marker that says, many earlier manuscripts do not have the phrase against you. Turns out, in the effort to translate the ancient Greek into modern languages like English, the ancient uh, Greek is not just one text. They had hundreds of copies of these texts. They had so many hundreds of these copies of these ancient Greek texts that you could actually track how these texts changed and evolved over the years. Here, they have done us a favor The people who are, the scholars have done us a favor by putting that note there. And and here's the favor that they have done done for us. They have said, look, the earliest manuscripts don't have the words about you, against you in the verse. It would read like this. If another member of the church sins, go and point out the fault. In the earliest manuscripts. But over a period of time, you could kind of track the difference and, and These words against you were added in. And so they're saying to us here, kind of choose your own adventure. Now next week, we're going to deal very specifically with this concept of what you do when somebody in the church sins against you. Peter's going to ask the question, how many times do I got to forgive that person? Seven times? We're going to have that discussion next week. But today, I am persuaded that the earliest manuscripts give us the version that we need to consider today. So I'm gonna read this again, but I'm gonna read it how I'm gonna preach it the rest of the sermon. If another member of the church sins, now think, right, the sheep, the one that wanders away, this is the verse right after all of that. If another member of the church sins and wanders away, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, then you have restored that one, you have regained that one. In other words, Jesus is starting to tell us what the rescue effort is supposed to look like. This is the first step in the process of regaining or restoring someone who has wandered away. This is not you do you. This is based on the family connections that we have built It's another good reason to build family connections. Based on the connections that we have built, I want you to know that I care for you and am concerned for you. Now, what do you do? What do you do if such person does not respond well? Jesus says, no, no, don't go embarrass him. Don't humiliate her. Love him. Love her. Sit down. Have coffee. Pizza would be great for this. Open your heart. Build on the relationship that's been established, speak from that heart. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is still not hostile. Now this is a nod toward an Old Testament belief that anytime that there is any kind of trouble or dispute, you need to have some witnesses so that you can get your story straight, and I would submit that's pretty good wisdom. But it's still not a hostile act. This is a few more members of the family of care going to the person who has wandered away to say, we are better when you are around the table. We are concerned about you and we are here, not in an attempt to discipline you, but in an attempt to love you back. Some of you may be disappointed. Well, when do I get to be hostile? Next verse, if the member refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church, and if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Yes, we finally get to be hostile, right? We finally get to excommunicate. I don't know why it is that churches really like this move right here, it, and it's not just local churches. Sometimes we really, we really lean into this excommunication thing, and I'm not sure it's scriptural. Because, y'all, watch this. (laughs) Jesus is saying, let such a one be to you as a Gentile, an outsider, and a tax collector. Does anybody remember how Jesus dealt with Gentiles and tax collectors? He loved them. He loved them. Is this Jesus washing his hands and walking away from tax collectors and sinners? No. If you'll read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus had the uncanny habit of drinking coffee with, with the outsiders, of eating pizza with them, risking association with prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, Zacchaeus, the woman at the well. Jesus had this weird way of communicating in unmistakable terms that he loved those who were outside of the tribe in that moment, but the God in Christ still honors their capacity and freedom to choose to be outside of the tribe. But it didn't change Jesus's energy for him or her, though they were outside of the tribe. Are you seeing this? If if you find in your heart somehow the need to find justification, for your desire to excommunicate and other the other, you will not find it in the mind and heart of Christ who represents the most reliable picture that we could get of the heart of God. You ready? And all God's people said, you don't get to excommunicate anybody? Not your job. Not your responsibility. Here's what you need to do with the person who refuses to be a part of us. Sit with them. Maybe coffee, I've recommended pizza. I mean, we do our best to keep folks tethered, right? But then, like Jesus, we must honor the decision that he or she or they would make to walk away. All are invited. What am I going to say here? All are invited, but none are compelled. Once he, she, they say no, we no longer want to belong to you, then we, like Jesus, honor those choices and schedule coffee. That's the way it's supposed to work. Sometimes rescue stories are longer than we want them. Verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth, here's this language again, will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, probably should have been translated, will have been loosed in heaven. In taking this Christian Christ-like posture, you are embodying the hopes of heaven, that this would be a kingdom of invitation, a kingdom that finds its strength and strategy in Christ-shaped love, a patient kingdom that understands long stories and is involved in the longest of games. And yes, it's hard. Do you know how hard it is to not take personally, take it personally when somebody walks away from us? I'm still working at it. I'll probably get it. I'm about 33 years in. Haven't quite gotten there, but maybe in the next 33, I'll figure it out. It's it's hard not to take it personally, and, and this is hard work that sometimes I find I find difficult to undertake. It is. Difficult work, often painful, because you guys, Christian love is sometimes painful. We rightly rejoice when folks are found by Jesus and then find the family of faith, and then we ache, or at least I ache, when things change, when somebody gets disappointed and disenchanted and walks away. It hurts. Some of you know it all too well, and you, perhaps like the father of the prodigal, know that some pains never go away. The missing person is always going to be missed. But the people of God are not meant to give up. We are meant to take on the posture of what one poet has called the hound of heaven. (laughs) who keeps chasing and looking and looking and chasing. And we never go do this work alone. We are never on the search and rescue effort alone. Uh, Hear that in these verses. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. There's a couple of phrases that have existed in our orbit around here for a long time, and I want to mention them to tell you how much I still believe in them. One of them, it actually precedes my time, is while Dr. Green was here, we started saying this around here as it had to do with our church here. Sometimes you may not get it, but if you stick around long enough, it will get you. Let me tell you what I I mean by that. I know that sometimes church— And this church in particular can be an acquired taste. And I know if this is different from what you have experienced before, we do go about things very intentionally and it may be different from what you've experienced and you may not get it, but if you'll stay long enough, (laughs) it will get you. It will get you, slowly but surely, the different ways that we believe we have to define success in church work. It it may not square with what you remember, but if you stay long enough, though you may not get it at first, it will get you. Second, I had a parishioner say, we ought to call this Last Chance Church of the Nazarene. I mean, it would look funny on the stationery, but I'm kind of into that too. You'd kind of know what he meant, right? Like, I'm done. I've been hurt, I'm tired of being embarrassed, but I'll give you guys one more chance. This is for me, whether we ever change the name, Last Chance Church of the Nazarene. I love that. (laughs) I think, Kyle, it might make a great t-shirt. Last Chance Church of the Nazarene. I love being the pastor of Last Chance Church of the Nazarene. I do, because I do think at times (laughs) the way that churches have functioned, we have earned the cynicism of some of our people. And I do hope by the way that we function, though imperfectly around here, we can be trusted to help maintain hope. Hope for this project that we call the church. I don't mind being last chance church of the Nazarene. Not at all. Hey, in fact, will you help me to be last chance church of the Nazarene for somebody else? Maybe there is what scripture would call a little one somewhere in your orbit. Are you talking about a child? Maybe, maybe. Or I may be talking about someone who's in your orbit who's new to faith. Or, or someone who has given it one last shot. I think all those folks Jesus has in mind and in heart today. But I can't do it by myself. I hope there will be other people also fully aware that we can't do it by ourselves. Other people who will recognize that what it is that we do around this table each week makes it possible for us to be people who leave the 99 and go in search of the one people who can endure long stories of rescue people who can patiently endure the very process of being Christian and sitting with other people in their processes of conversion it's too hard John oh I know I can't do it by myself This is part of the reason I'm glad my friend Ron talked us into this. We needed this each week. We need the resources each week to maintain that posture of patient endurance. To be the rescuers, the tangible rescuers, the tangible expression of the heart of God. We need it. So if you're going to help us today, please go ahead and come down front and take your spots here. As we organize the table for this very important moment. Heavenly Father, bless these elements, bread and cup, simple, tangible expressions, but somehow in your hands, it becomes so much more. Bless these elements as only you can do, and make them into the resources we need that can fuel us and nurture us that we might someday understand ourselves to be the bread taken blessed Broken and given. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, and to come forward to approach someone holding a plate of bread. As you do, that person holding the plate of bread will look in the eye and say, This is the body of Christ broken for you. And he or she will put it into your open hands. It's the only way that you can get this. Make sure that your hands are open because this is all grace. And you can only receive grace with open hands. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. Someone standing there will be holding a cup. And when you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then, if you would, find a place to pray. If you decide to come and pray at one of these side padded altars, we will understand that you are there for a prayer for healing. And somebody, an elder, will come and meet you there and pray that prayer for healing along with you. It could be physical, mental, emotional, relational, familial healing, but we'll pray that prayer for you and with you at the side padded altars. If you come to one of these mourners' kneeling benches up here at the front, we won't assume anything, but somebody will at some point come and let you know that you are not alone as you pray. You may want to circle right back around and go to your seat, which is perfectly fine as well. God hears those prayers no matter where you're sitting in this room. You may wanna make a special trip down here where this bowl of water now still waits for you to come, where you can dip your fingers into the bowl and remember the moment of your baptism, the moment when you were included in this people of God, people with a particular purpose. Now, who's eligible? Anyone in the room who recognizes that you in fact need grace, like me, If you know that you need this grace, you are welcome. And again, all are invited, but none are compelled. If you would rather sit this one out, for whatever reason, that's fine. You're all invited, as long as you understand that you need this grace, you're all invited, but none are compelled to come. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup and held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it, remember me. Now, all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nurture and resource the people of God.